All right, welcome back to the Let's Talk About God podcast. Here's something that I've noticed. I think I've started every episode of this podcast with, all right, welcome back to the Let's Talk About God podcast. I think I've started every one that way. How's everybody doing? Well, I'm doing great. I'm just sitting here having um, memories of um, Robin Williams and the movie when he would every broadcast go good morning vietnam <laughs> so that's what that's your version of it i guess i should start out one episode like that yeah just to change it up you remember um, the episode on the office when michael gets up there to give the speech for dwight and he goes good morning vietnam yeah. and nobody laughs, <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> that's probably what would happen to us that's hilarious Hey, uh, we've got something really exciting today. We have got our very first special guest, none other than my mom. Welcome, Leah, to the podcast. Hey, Leah. Hello. Thank you. She's extremely nervous right now. Says that she's out of her element. Definitely. (laughs) If she could sing the whole podcast, she'd be doing great. Yeah, if you do it like uh, Les Miserables, just seeing everything that you say, you might be more comfortable. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> That's hilarious. How are you doing, Mom? I'm doing good, Evan. Had a great Mother's Day. My children honored me. My husband honored me. So, um, uh, I, I I cooked you dinner Sunday. Yes, he did. Pork roast, carrots, potatoes, green beans, green beans, cantaloupe, cantaloupe, and then Mom brought my mom brought deviled eggs. And pineapple casserole, and we had wheat bread, toasted wheat bread. It was pretty good. Both the boys gave me a card and gifts, and I enjoyed my gift this afternoon with a spa treatment. Oh, it was wonderful. I could get used to that. I I gave mom a card in a language. I didn't know what it was. <laughs> <laughs> we Googled it. It turns out it was in Polish. <laughs> I had to get Google Translator and figure it out. It was I Polish. Had, I had never seen Polish before, but I was like, this looks interesting. <laughs> then I wrote in the card. I was like, you don't really care about what it says anyways. You just care about what I write. So And, and then Google Translate never gets it exactly. And so it's like warm, cordial, cordial regards. Cordial Mother's Day. Yeah, warm, cordial regards on Mother's Day. Uh-huh. Very, very. Very, very formal. Very which, formal. If you know me, I am not. <laughs> that made it so even better. It was great. That's hilarious. Hey, we're going to dive right into it today. We've got um, just a great podcast today and something that's going to be a little bit different. Today, we are going to talk about the topic of legalism, Christian legalism which is going to be so interesting. The reason that we um, brought my mom on is because she's very legalistic. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. But no, they um, they just both, – both of my parents, actually, y'all both have like some what, – what am I trying to say? History. You grew up in the vicinity of legalism. Yeah, yeah, um, that was our context. Yeah, so I figured y'all would be the perfect people to talk to and – interview about legalism and kind of figure out what's going on there. Um, so as we just dive right into it, I, I think the appropriate thing would be to just define legalism. Um, I kind of put down, I said, legalism is putting obedience to man-made laws like diet, clothing, media consumption, spiritual disciplines above faith, grace, and the gospel for salvation and right relationship with God. That was my like wordy 
definition. I think it's a pretty good one. I I think that really does sum it up. Yeah, you're 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 adding to what God has already established, and what you're adding, you claim is equal to what God has stated. Sometimes it's even been elevated above. Yeah, what God has stated. Yeah, Mom, what's your what's your like thirty second definition of legalism? I don't always think that it was meant to be negative. I think that maybe it began out of pure hearts, people just wanting to be more like God or their take on the Scripture, and then it turned into man-made rules, Mm. and then it escalated from there. Yeah, Mine, I guess if I think back, would be dress code, Events you could or could not attend, things of that nature. Yeah. So basically just some made-up, goofy rules, which you could, which you could not do, even though maybe it started with a pure heart and mind. And there's a history to this, mm-hmm. and I think we were going to talk about this. Uh, I'm going to do something. I'm going to go back 2,000-plus years, then fast-forward 2,000 years. Yeah. Um, the legalist, if you're, if you're a a Christian or you know the Bible, particularly the New Testament, there is a group in the Bible that fits this description of legalist, mm-hmm. and it was the Pharisees. And the Pharisees began, uh, before you start reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the years prior to it, the Pharisees actually began very zealous for God. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it stems back even to the Babylonian captivity Israel had rebelled and gone deep into idolatry, and it was a real serious issue. When they went into Babylonian captivity for 70 years, it it purged it from them. Yeah. And out of that came this desire in Israel to get back to God and to serve God, and that's where the Pharisees were developed. And so the Pharisees had this zeal to be holy and to do what was right and obey the law. But what happened was over time, the zeal carried them beyond God's ordinances. I've heard it described that, if you can imagine this, that God gives a command, all right? And imagine it's a round fence Mm -hmm. in a pasture, okay? Well, the Pharisees said, we we have to stay in this fence. We can't, if we get out of this, it's sin outside. Well, they were so worried about transgressing what God said that they began to create smaller circled fences inside of that. Mm -hmm. And they would make rules within God's rules with the intention to keep themselves from sinning. Yeah. Okay. And, and that's their man-made rules. God didn't say not to do these things, but they said, we can't do these things because if we just don't do this, it'll keep us from sinning against. So the, the, they made more and more and more rules, and they did this with all kinds of commandments so that you ended up having a ton of man-made rules. You see this in the Sabbath. So Jesus um, really hit them hard on the Sabbath because they would they would say you can't carry a cot and you can't carry water, and they would just list all these little rules that God never said, mm-hmm. but they were so afraid of breaking the Sabbath and keep, they wanted to keep the Sabbath. And so 
So, so that was very real. And, the, and if you know, the Pharisees were the one that hung Jesus on the cross. Yeah, they were the greatest enemies of Jesus. Oh, and his and the ones he gave the hardest time. Yeah, he extended mercy and grace to a lot of people, but boy, the Pharisees, he let them have it mm-hmm. because they were religious on the outside, but inwardly they were corrupt. And that's something that's, that's very important: is that legalism. Uh, you can start with a pure heart, like the legalists do, mm-hmm. the, the Pharisees did rather, but then. You get so consumed about keeping rules that you've lost the whole intention is to serve God and live right and have a heart that's right after God. You fast forward 2,000 years, and I have seen legalists in action. And I want to be really careful here, but there is a group um, of people, and I'm just going to leave it really, really broad, in a town nearby here. We'll just leave it at that. And these people are known to be incredibly legalistic. Yeah. Okay, and I used to work with them, and they were nice people, but I remember that there was absolutely no grace with these people, no mercies. And I was about 18 years old working at UPS, and I just remember I'm thinking, wow. And I would question them. I'm like, I mean, but don't you guys have a little mercy here that we get the hypothetical situation? Mm-hmm. Oh, no. And they were just as extreme. I never met anybody. And they yeah. made me think of the Pharisees in the Bible. Yeah. Well, then your mom and I are sitting here, and we we grew up in the holiness movement. You know, we, we talk often on this podcast about here how we're Pentecostals, and we're also in the part of the holiness movement, which we believe you ought to live right. Okay? Well, we grew up in the Church of God. I'm going to go ahead and call our denomination <clears throat> out of Cleveland, Tennessee. And when the holiness movement started— it was the same thing I think as the Pharisees. The, you you said it, honey. There were just there was this passion to serve God and to do what's right, and because the churches were so nominal, Christians were nominal. They were Christians in name only, and so this group that started, they wanted to serve God. They wanted to be obedient, and they did the same thing. Yeah, is that they started making these rules. So you know, some of you are going, "What are the rules? You, you can't go to the movies." I remember as a kid, I couldn't go see Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs in the movie theater because that was a sin. Oh, I went to Chitty Chitty Bang Bang in second grade. My oh, parents no. allowed me. Oh, wow. you, that was sinful. Oh, Uh-oh. you're probably going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> in a handbasket. I, I am not kidding. <laughs> I sat there as a second grader and repented and was scared out of my mind that Jesus <laughs> would come back that day and I would not go and to you heaven. get left behind. Second grade. And well, well, before we go on to that, because we're going to talk about a lot of that, how about we go ahead and before we get there, let's go into detail. Give me maybe a brief history of the holiness movement. Because we've talked about for the Pharisees, their history was Israel sinned a whole lot. So then they said, we don't want to sin like this anymore. And then over time, over about 400 years, the intertestamental period, they forgot why they were making the rules that they were making. And so they they lost the heart behind things like the Sabbath and um, you know food purification laws. Well, fast forward to basically the early 1900s and the holiness movie, movement that Assemblies of God and Church of God and other uh, denominations came out of. Give us a brief history of... What did they come out of, and then how did it devolve into some legalism? I love to say this. There were no Pentecostals in America at the turn of the 19th century. There were Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians. And so what had happened for a, for a large portion of the churches in America, and I use this term, they were nominal, which yeah. means you're, you're Christian in name only. So the churches, you would go because it was a social club. You would go because that's the thing to do, and you would sit through a service. But the rest of the week, 
you didn't serve God, but it was a front. You were mm-hmm. religious. When the Pentecostal holiness movement began, there were people within those churches who were pure in heart. They really wanted to serve God, and it wasn't working. That that wasn't resonating in these nominal churches. So they pulled out of those nominal churches and gathered together. So you had small clusters of church plants, if you will, of people who just said, "We want to be. We want to get back to the Bible, mm-hmm. and we want to be a church like we read in the Book of Acts." And so that's where the emphasis came of holiness. So they believed in salvation by grace through faith, but they said, "We're going to live right. We're not going to. We're not going to just be Christians on Sunday and then live any way we want to Monday through." So that that's where the purity came. That's where the the passion came and the zeal to try to do what was right. And then in the course of, like the Pharisees, finding out what God says in His Word, they looked at the world. And they looked at the culture, and they said, we don't want to be worldly. So they said, anything that seems to be of the world, we can't do it. Got to do the exact opposite. Right. So so let me get to the list. So you know, the movie theaters were worldly. It was of the world. It was made by the world. Therefore, we should avoid it. Okay? And so that was kind of a – so then it just snowballed. And it was real extreme back in those days – um, men, some of them said a tie is too worldly. That accessory <laughs> is wow. too much. It puts too much show on me. Yeah. So men would wear open white collar shirts. You couldn't wear a tie. You couldn't wear cufflinks, things like that. Mm-hmm. And then the women really got a hard time because they, they would read about, there is a passage in the new Testament about jewelry and braided hair and whatever yeah. and jewelry. And so, they took that and said, well, women can't wear any jewelry because yeah. that's worldly. And women can't wear makeup because that's worldly. And a woman's not supposed to cut her hair because a woman's supposed to have long hair. And a man, So a man can't have long hair. If you had hair over your ears, oh, that was worldly. Mm-hmm. See, and a woman, if she ever cut her hair, that was worldly. Yeah. And so they took that concept of worldliness and started making these rules. And you can't, men and women can't, swim together in the same swimming pool or swimming area because th- that that's what the world does and they called it mixed bathing yeah, mixed bathing. yeah. and Go so figure. never was uh, never was a bar of soap <laughs> when I, I did it i've seen somewhere um that's on a in like a community area and the, the <clears throat> swimming pool has like a giant jail cell around there almost that's covered so that no one on the outside could see the other gender swimming. Like yeah. if there's ever a zombie apocalypse, you know where I'm going. That's where they're supposed to go. It's either like Lowe's where the plants are or that swimming pool. Yeah. The only time I ever swam with the opposite sex would be during camp meeting. Because growing up, that was our vacation. And that was in a hotel. That definitely wasn't on a church of God oh, camp. <laughs> oh, no. But the gauchos were past the knees when I swam. The what? Gauchos. All right, what is gauch? Oh, geez. They're like huge-legged pants that are cropped off at the knee. <laughs> and, like, you would almost drown because you had you had to wear those and yeah. swim. You couldn't just wear a bathing suit. Oh, no. Because that would be worldly. You wore a you were fully clothed with a shirt on. The, the men, young men, did get away with wearing swim bottoms, but they had to wear a dark mm. T-shirt at the top. So it was it was pretty brutal. I didn't enjoy swimming when when I was younger. 
That's for sure. And like it got so bad r- way back in the early days, you mm-hmm. couldn't drink a Coca Cola. Right. Really? Well, because I think I've got this right. I mean, I'm not. I'm only 53, so I didn't live back in the early 20s or 1920s or whatever. But I, the, I think the way you got Coca-Cola, they said they would even put, I think, Coke around, on the edges at the tops of the bottles. Well, that's what I've heard. Anyway, the, so I don't know if the drug was there or not, but it was understood that that was just something worldly. You couldn't go to a baseball game. So if you wanted to go watch the Atlanta Braves, oh, no, that would be – you couldn't even you could even play sports. Sometimes you couldn't even play – depending on the – the, the institution you couldn't. But I remember my dad. I don't think he mind me telling this, but dad, dad was a teenager, and he sneaked off to play golf, and he had to make sure that his preacher dad didn't know it, and none of the church members would know it. And he sneaked off and played eighteen holes of golf because he wanted to play golf and do. You know, it was that kind of mentality. Yeah. You and here's the thing. You didn't dare want to be seen by anybody. You were worried about what other people thought. Yeah. There it was, was all this, about perception. It was. There was a peer pressure that was created, a culture that was created, uh-huh. so that if somebody else saw you, you they would immediately judge you. Uh-huh. And so so that's the concept. So women would wear their hair up. You've heard of people, women wearing beehives, and these yeah. high bees, they would pile their hair up on their head. Anything to just not look worldly. You wouldn't want your hair long, hanging down. Women had to wear skirts down their ankles. If you notice, I just keep throwing this stuff out. There was rule after rule after rule. And the denomination that we're in, the Church of God, they incorporated these into our bylaws, the Church of God minutes. And so what happened is that they they made them into what was called practical teachings. You had your doctrinal teachings and then the practical teachings. And the practical teachings said you must Mm. or you must not. So – they were written in verbiage that made it a, like if you're going to be a member of this denomination, you have to do this. You can't do this. That's a dangerous game to play, don't you think? Oh, it was absolutely. And and so here's what. So we were we were and, and a lot of I mean we were good people. We were saved people. We were spirit filled people. Mm-hmm. We were spirit empowered people. Um and and t- I think to a large part our people lived right and tried to live holy. But for a, a lot of us, not everybody, and not every preacher. And not every member, but for a lot, they became judgmental legalists. And here's what happens when you create that kind of man made standard and there's that culture and peer pressure, then everybody's judging each other. Okay? And then it gets worse. So then somebody visits your church. A woman comes in, a man comes in, he's got a tie on, but you don't wear ties. A woman comes in, she's got on earrings, a pearl necklace, makeup on her face. Okay? Her hair's done up. Everybody looks at her instead of reaching out with compassion. Say they're sinners that need need Jesus. They're coming to your church. They're interested. They need to go. instead of having cordial love and warmth and embrace. People wouldn't even talk to them or judge them. Mm-hmm. Wow! So no concern with the gospel. No concern with the evangelism over keeping your man-made rules and the appearance of things. Sometimes. That's yeah. why I said there wasn't a, this isn't it's a blanket not, yeah, thing. Not, yeah, yeah, not a but, blanket But thing. it happened. And then preachers would get up, and instead of all the time preaching the word, whether that's doctrines or the gospel or teaching, the, half the time they were preaching these practical teachings mm-hmm. and, and these man-made teachings. And, and again, the women usually got the blunt end of this. So they just let women have it, you know, how you got to be holy and better not catch you with your hair bobbed. That was a thing, which yeah. was, what was a hair I would bob? be in big trouble. I know that. My hair's really bobbed. Yeah, <laughs> when it's shorter. So, so it was just, and it was, it was, it was almost toxic. Yeah. 
Well, um, as we go on, why don't you tell me about your proximity to this? So, like, how are you connected, Mom? Tell me about, like, your – tell me about Papal. How did you get into the Church of God? Why were you raised in the holiness movement? My dad was raised in a totally dysfunctional family. His father um, was an alcoholic. But there were times that his mother would take them to church. Mm Mm-hmm. Very firm lady, strong lady. And on one of those evenings, on a Sunday evening, she made uh, the boys, my dad and his siblings, go to church. And he got saved. And, I mean, God just turned his life around. Um, He started preaching immediately. That was back in the day when you preached on the street corners. Anywhere he could preach, Wow, he would preach. So that's how we... um, Became Church of God. Um, he he became an ordained minister. I don't know what date, but growing up, Daddy always pastored, or he was in what we call state work. He may be in uh, have been a, an evangelism director or a state overseer. They're called bishops now, I believe. Um, so that that's how I was raised in the Church of God. But I will give credit to my parents and say that they were very careful mm-hmm. and protected me. I think. Um, a lot from legalism. When I was a young girl, they allowed me to start wearing pants. My mom taught me how to pr- appropriately apply makeup. Thank God. <laughs> I would never be married to your dad today if I did not wear makeup. <laughs> what, do I, what do I always say? A little paint never hurt the barn. <laughs> Coleman, Coleman edit that out. I'm just kidding. <laughs> But that's how I that's how I grew up, and like I said, my parents made an exception in second grade and allowed me mm-hmm. to go see Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Mm-hmm. And then when I was in high school, um, there was a dance. Now I had never been to a school dance, and I think my parents realized that I was teetering. I was a little bitter about a move that we had just made uh, that my dad took. Um, in ministry. I was not happy with that Mm -hmm. decision. And they knew I wanted to go to that school dance. And and I remember to this day, my mom taking me out and buying me an outfit. I remember what I wore and everything. And I think, I don't think they were conceding. I just think they were saying, okay, that's a rule here. We don't want to chance Leah being rebellious because a lot of my generation, especially preachers' kids, turned out rebellious. Wouldn't you think, Chris? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, due to that, but um, so I'm grateful for that upbringing. I yeah. wasn't, but I saw a lot of it. Yeah. Along, you know. That's why I kind of, because I, I obviously knew a little bit of that. That's why I said you were in proximity to it. It doesn't. I mean, unless I'm wrong, it doesn't seem like either of your parents were really like full on bought in shake their fist, you know, at all. But it's just more in that proximity of it. Like, how about you? Yeah, my dad was a pastor, too, uh, and not, not just – and he was a state official and even mm-hmm. served in our international offices. So he was elected by our General Assembly, which is something pretty amazing, yeah. pretty incredible. Um, and the, 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 the church that dad pastored when I was a child um, – it kind of had that culture already in it. And so when you're pastoring a congregation, you have to consider that because yeah. if you don't, 
then you're going to alienate yourself. You're going to create discourse, I mean, or division rather than the mm-hmm. church and, and discord. And so, and dad was young. He was in his 20s. So he was really, really careful that we didn't do all those things. And, yeah. and dad knew how the culture was in the denomination. I mean, my dad didn't wear a wedding band. That, that was a jewelry, see? So he yeah. didn't wear a wedding band. So it was just those kind of things. I have some – so, yeah, I don't feel like dad pushed that. When dad went into state work, it changed everything because now he's he's – representative of the entire state. So all the pastors are watching him. All the m- members are watching him. He's an official in our, in, in, cause we like to say when we went to Michigan. Mm-hmm. So uh, he was a state youth director of Michigan. So now you have to worry about all those people watching you. And so it, the, the pressure intensified a hundredfold. Wow. And so I have, I, I don't, mom and dad, I never felt like that was a, like a thing that they were just gung ho about. I don't remember my dad ever preaching the first sermon about jewelry and yeah. hair. Dad preached the word. I never remember my dad ever doing mm-hmm. that. But dad had to had to kind of uphold it because that was that was the culture. Yeah. I mean, I, but I re, I have memories like you. Um, I remember that my it was either the fourth or fifth grade class. One of them. I was in a really small small town. They were going to take us bowling. And I remember my dad sitting me down, and I, which I always loved and respected him for this because he could have just said no. You can't. But he actually sat me down and talked it through with me. And I remember as a kid, but I remember this. It's like you said, you had these memories. Like you can remember what you wore. Well, this was a big deal for me. I'd never been bowling in my life. Yeah. And dad said, you know, if I do this, I could get in trouble. I could have members that if they find out will give me grief because they think bowling is a sin. And and I think Dad let me know. I don't think bowling is a sin, but it's not about you. It's about the church. And so that was kind of the tension for me. It was just more about our Dad's relationship, working relationship in the church. Mm-hmm. And he, and to his credit, he let me go. And I'm wow. like you, Leo, when you went to the dance. I just think that was big because my dad didn't let the church dictate what I do. Yeah. At the same time, I played baseball as a kid. I played played pee wee league baseball, and we would we we would win and have games in like the championship game or I was on the all stars. It was always on Sunday afternoon. Well, I mean, you're not supposed to do all that on Sunday. And my dad, I remember the coach coming to my door asking my dad, please let him come play. And my dad would say, No, he can't play. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I I did not typically play ball on Sundays and I played a lot of ball growing up. I remember one tournament as a teen playing, and all day I felt so guilty because I did not go to church that day and I played ball, you know, so it was. So you knew you were a sinner. Yeah, I I was doomed. That's crazy. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. I Um, I, I didn't go to the movies till I was 28. Oh, my gosh. True. We had been married six years. And now you love movies. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, you didn't go to the movies. That's just you didn't do that. That was sin. And I remember we went. Leah finally taught me to go in the movies, and I was 20. I'd been married six years. I was 20 years old. Yeah. And so you look back now because we're not anything like that at all. Yeah. But you look back now, and it just seems kind of just warped and out there. I mean, it's kind of like, really? Were we in that, you know? But you don't see it. When you're in the middle of it, it isn't really weird to you. Mm-hmm. It's just what you what you grew up with. I can see now where people would look at us and probably think, 
Oh, there's the weird Pentecostals right there. Look. Mm-hmm. See how they look? Oh, you yeah. could spot somebody in the Church of God a mile away. Right. <laughs> yeah, they did. You, we had a look. That's it was funny. Because because we didn't look like the world. We yeah. we made sure we didn't and you could spot it. Yeah. But I was talking to to one of my our secretaries here who's I've known her for 30 years, 30 plus years and she's like a sister to me. She just happens to work in our office and her father-in-law was was a, a pastor here in South Carolina and after he retired he and I sat down and had a long conversation. I mean, I love this man dearly. He's a great man. Mm-hmm. And this subject came up, and he, with regret, said, I wish, you know, in essence, what he said to me is, I wish I'd have never preached that stuff. Mm. But he preached on the hair and the makeup and the jewelry, and the, he, he did. And he said, I did it because that's what we were expected to do, and everybody else did. He said, but there's no telling how many people I ran off, how many people that we offended, yeah. that we judged and never showed him grace. And he said, if I could go back and do it over, if I could go back and t-, he said, but I can't. Mm. But he said, you know, I, I see it now as I wish we had never done that. Yeah. But he said it was just the culture we were in. Well, so, and that's the example of having a pure heart. He did not do that with a, you know, judgmental mentality. That was just what he had always known. Yeah. I mean, I could insert a song here right now if y'all wanted it. Yes. Absolutely. If your hair's too long, there's sin in your heart. <laughs> and I'll stop right there. Get it cut today, you get a brand new start. I remember the rest of the words. <laughs> One thing I think is funny, I don't know if this is ties in or not, but our children, Evan, who is leading this podcast, and our other son, Jaron, they think it's hilarious because we always greeted one another by brother and sister, especially like a young person to an adult. Yeah. I mean, you would have never walked up and said, Chris, or Pastor Chris. It was brother Sistar. And I would be sister Sistar. Now, sister I'm not Leah. knocking people who do that. I'm just saying that's how I grew up. I didn't think that was odd. But then when Evan heard it, he laughed his head off. He thought that was really weird. <laughs> and I thought it was weird that he thought it was weird, you know. But we grew up in that. That's just I will how admit, we greeted. Like looking at everything like as an outsider, it, like it all seems kind of silly. Like it's just kind of <laughs> silly like why you couldn't wear makeup or play sports or whatever. But You want to hear um, something funny since we're just – I mean because I'm sure people are listening right now. Who have no idea about yeah, legalism? Right. I going, promise we'll get serious. This is fascinating. <laughs> I mean, if I had, but not you're gr- liking this right now. Oh, I'm sure. If I <laughs> if I grew up and had not grown around fat, legalism, right now I would be going. This is wild. Yeah. <laughs> this is. But um, so this is going to sound funny coming from a 53 year old man, right? I love to watch The Wizard of Oz. I just, th- you know, why? Because The Wizard of Oz always came on Sunday night. During church. And we had church on Sunday night. So you couldn't stay home. If I'd have begged my parents, that that would have been sinful. You know, you can't stay home. You have to go to church. And so every night I knew the Wizard of Oz, because we only had three channels, ABC, NBC, CBS back then. And so that was it. That was the one chance. There were no videos. There was no DVR. You missed it, and you had to wait a whole year till it came back on again. But you missed wow. it again because it was. But you missed it again. Yeah, you just so gave up hope. I was an adult before I ever would see the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> I mean, that's so true. I mean, it makes me giggle sitting around talking about it now because it does sound a little <laughs> out there. <laughs> that's so sad. 
Yeah. All right, before we move on, let's play like a little game. Mom, um, I'll start with you. Give me your number one like holiness rebellion story. I don't mean the time you actually sinned, but the time you like snuck and did something that was forbidden. Like you snuck and watched. So don't tell about my sins. Just tell about something else. Tell about your holiness sins. <laughs> the, the man-made rules. Yeah. Where you tell sneaked her, out and did tell something. Tell about how you were like, I went to the movies. Like you, you know what I mean? Like right. I'm going to go spend the night at Jenny's house for Bible study. And then you go like <laughs> watch something. <laughs> well, I do remember in college, as strange as this may sound, we wore dresses every day. Mm-hmm. I wore a dress and heels. That is why I have plantar fasciitis now. I blame it on that. (laughs) But I wore a dress, pantyhose, let me include that, and heels every day. Well, obviously, when I was in college, I was wearing pants. I mean, you Mm. know. So when I knew I was going off campus, the pants were rolled up under my long (laughs) skirt. And as soon as I drove off campus, that skirt came off, the lipstick went on, and any jewelry. <laughs> That's hilarious. I remember when I started college, th- back in that day, you wore a guy's class ring if you were going steady. And so I wore this guy's class ring all the way, however many hours from home. And I remember they confiscated the class ring. Oh, no. I think I eventually got it back and gave it to him. But, oh, no. And then the lipstick I wore, oh, no. You will take that off. That's It's funny. Like, the college down the road, there's, like, an 18-year-old sneaking beer in, and you're sneaking out with pants <laughs> on. <laughs> that was the big <laughs> sin. And you we to, didn't even think about beer. <laughs> heaven forbid. That wasn't even on the radar. I would you be, just like, going straight to hell. <laughs> You know. And we need to make it clear, we went to a small Bible college that was in a heavily, even the surrounding area and churches, heavy legalistic area, yeah. okay, steeped in this in this kind of, of yes. culture. Yeah, but a, a wonderful school but and a, a wonderful awesome education. School, awesome education, awesome people. The people were precious, but that was part of the culture. That's and so, hilarious. yeah. So, All right, give me yours. What's your number one holiness? I, and then I promise we'll get serious. I, I don't. I don't have. I mean, I, he was a goody two shoes. No. He never wow. did anything. Harry holiness over here. Harry holiness. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. <laughs> and then there was Christmas star. No. You're legalist and Harry holiness. There you go. <laughs> Sticks and stones may break my bones. <laughs> Uh, I I I think for me that I remember this. You were talking about playing ball on a Sunday night and feeling bad. We went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I mean, that's what you did. So I remember my best friend and I. Uh, I'm, I'm going to name the church. We were going to the Tremont Avenue Church of God in Greenville, okay? Because I grew up in the Greenville, South Carolina area. Graduated from Malden High School, and uh, we were supposed to go. You know, and our parents think we're going to church that night. And on the way, my best friend Robert said, because this is when Putt-Putt of America was big. Ooh. He said, I read where they're having a putt, a tournament at Putt-Putt of America. He said, let's go get in that tournament and play at Putt-Putt of America. And I said, and miss church? He said, yeah, let's skip church tonight and we'll go play. And so I was riding with him. I didn't really have much choice. And so we skipped church. Ooh. We didn't go to youth group. Uh-oh. And we played in a Putt-Putt of America tournament. And I remember that. Uh, I, I did it, but I had, like you, I had a little bit of that angst because I'm like, 
uh, is this okay? Can I do this? Am I going to get in trouble? I, I, that probably sounds hilarious to people. No, but the that whole was, time you're going, I'm going, oh, forgive me in my sins, God. Forgive me in my sins. Forgive me in my sins, God. Forgive me in my sins. Just, you're just hoping Jesus doesn't come back that moment, you know. <laughs> I know it's funny, but for real, that's exactly what you're thinking. And while we're on these lines, I remember um, we have revivals all the time, too. And, I mean, we have revivals that would last weeks and weeks and weeks, and they were Sunday to Sunday. You didn't miss a night. But then we would also have times, you know, the youth group would get so fired up and we would say, okay, which is great. We do that here, this year now. We'll have times where you fast corporately. And you say, okay, we're going to fast. Um, and you remember, even since we've been married, Chris, you remember I've been very legalistic with fasting before. Um, but I, I'll never forget as a teenager, we, we were having the fasting. And so I remember, you know, making a proclamation, I'll never wear pants again, <laughs> and I'm fasting three days, and I will not eat a bite. I will only drink water. Well, the end of the first day, I was starving to death. I was not doing it for the right reasons, even though I think I had a pure heart. I was chewing up Oreos and, and spitting them out. <laughs> <laughs> Some random guy thought you were a redneck. <laughs> like... <laughs> oh, so true. So true. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Wow. Well, I think, and I think, you know, we try to do these podcasts real organic, but Leah's touched on something. It, legalism isn't always just about man made rules. Legalism can extend to things that are spiritual, but that you, you turn it into something in your mind, you become legalistic. Mm-hmm. Leah mentioned fasting. Um, we, we do a seven day fast here at the church. And I've had to talk to people through the years who would say, well, one of the days I didn't get to fast. Is that, is that bad? Did I do something wrong? Mm-hmm. Is that going to blow it? Does that mean now God won't hear my prayers? Is it, you know, did I just, does the whole, do I need to just throw the whole, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't be legalistic. You know, you're just giving up a meal to say to God, I'm trying to get closer to you. I said, mm-hmm. if you didn't get, you know, you say business, they made him go to a business lunch and whatever, and he he couldn't control his schedule that day. And I'm like, don't worry about it. Just pick up the next day. Mm-hmm. But you'd be amazed the people that are so consumed with pleasing God and doing the right thing. And that's where it always starts. And then you get fanatical about it. Yeah. It okay. becomes more about the thing than yes. the heart behind the thing. Or or the God behind the thing. Yeah. And so uh I've learned that that you can't allow a spiritual activity or discipline to become something that consumes you, that the event becomes more important than the purpose of the event, which is to draw you closer to God. Um here's here's the big issue, and I know we've been talking and listen. The big issue is with legalism, and Lee and I can identify with this, whether it's intentional, unintentional, whether it's stated or un- unstated, there is an emphasis on works and not a whole lot of emphasis, if any at all, on grace. Mm. Now, in the culture and climate of the church in America today, we've had a season the last couple decades where everything's been grace, grace, grace. You can do anything you want. There's God's grace is there to, to meet you. It's okay. We've got grace. And that's wonderful. 
what Lee and I grew up in and what some people still battle today, and that's why I think this podcast could help some people, mm-hmm. is that if in your mind you become consumed with something, like we said, to the point that the event or the activity is more important than getting close to God, then then you become all about the works, all about the works. And then if you fail in it, so you miss that meal or you hit that, you miss the fasting and eat that meal or um, something as simple as you just mess up. You know, we try to live holy lives, mm-hmm. but sometimes we sin. Everybody sins. You don't, you try not to sin. John said in his first little gospel, first John, uh, I write these things to you, brethren, that so that you will not sin. So we know that's God's will. But the next verse says, but if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. So John, one of the 12, knew you're not supposed to sin, but sometimes you will. Yeah. Okay, well, there are people that, and Leah, you, you, you've you probably done this. I've done it. You sin, and then, oh, you beat yourself up. Woe is me. Oh, you just think I've blown it, and you beat yourself. And, you know, the Holy Spirit will convict you when you sin, but I'll tell you what, I gave him a lot of help because yeah. I yeah. just beat my own self up. And and then God is ready to extend grace because he knows my heart is broken and I'm sorry for it. And he'll forgive me. I'll say, oh, God, forgive me. Well, he forgives me immediately. His grace is immediate. But my my grace to me might take three days. Yeah. Where you just walk like head head hanging low, head beating down. up yourself. If you sin or take um, reading your Bible or praying. Mm-hmm. Okay, yes, we need to do these things. Read and pray and pray and read and read and pray and pray and read. We we need to do these things daily. But I've had times in my life where if I missed a day or, heaven forbid, two days, then I would hang my head low. I'm telling you, like, if, if I missed, say it was a Friday, then on Sunday there was no way I would come into God's house. Yeah. And really even worship and definitely no expression of worship, you know, not raise my hand or I would feel like God could not anoint me to sing or to minister to anyone because I had not done what I was supposed See, that, to do. Yeah. That's legalism. Yeah. See, that's a, that in her mind, that was a, that was her man, own man made rule is it all. But you're it, accepted by Christ based on what you do and what you can offer right. him, not it, your identity in Christ. It qualified her. Yeah. It, it qualifies you. So if mm-hmm. I don't. If I miss a day of prayer, if I miss a day of, I'm disqualified. Yeah. And then in your mind, you create some kind of time period that, yeah, that has got to go by. And then I don't know why, you know, there's no set hard rule, but yeah. eventually you start reading your Bible and I guess you feel like you've kind of worked your way back mm-hmm. that you're where you're supposed to be again. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's works. And not that Leah believed her salvation was by works. I mean, I've done this too. And there's probably a lot of our listeners who, if they admit it, say, you know what? I've struggled with this yeah. because I think it's part of it where we have to believe in grace where God is gracious to us and he extends love and forgiveness and compassion and patience with us. And I don't think it's – I mean, there's grace, but if you're trying to intentionally take advantage of that, that's a whole separate issue. Mm-hmm. But what if you're trying really, really hard and then you're just beating yourself up? And I saw a cartoon one time. It was a book written to young people, and it had pictures and illustrations. It was really written to young adults where they could be real. It's something they really enjoy. And there was this cartoon, and so you have the panels in the cartoon, right? So the first panel had this this boy. He's young man. He sinned, and so he's down on his knees, and he says, "Oh God, I'm so sorry for my sin. Please forgive me." And then the little the little voice balloon from heaven from God said, "I forgive you." 
And then the next panel, he's down on his face. Oh, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And the next panel, he's just pulling his hair out of his head. God, I'm sorry. Oh, God, please forgive me for my sins. When it gets to the final panel, the voice balloon from heaven comes from God, and he says, what sin are you talking about? Wow. And the point is, when God forgave him and extended that grace, it was done. Yeah. But he was still beating himself up, and God was like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Because I've already forgiven that. That's gone. Wow. And and I think if we could get that picture in our head, it would help us to understand um, that, you know, that's not a license now to just say, okay, well, then I'll just keep doing the wrong things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's not what that is. That swings the pendulum the other way. But it is saying God wants me to do certain things, but when I fail, there's grace. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that I've lost my status with Lord, the Lord. And I've just dropped because from, you sin, you haven't lost your salvation like we've talked yeah, about before. Or I've moved from a level five, five-star Christian to a two-star Christian, yeah. and i got to work my way back up. Or yeah. he doesn't love me quite as much as he did last week because I was, be- I was better last week. Yeah. The truth is there's nothing you can do that will make God love you any more than he loves you right now. Yeah. That's good. Yep. That's good. And I think I think it would be helpful to just clarify talking about the positives. If legalism says I've got to work to earn my favor with God, and if legalism says I've got to hang my head low and be filled with guilt and shame every time I sin or I mess up or whatever, if legalism says I have the right maybe to be judgmental to other people because I'm so self-righteous, what does the gospel actually say? What does the Bible actually have to say um, regarding our actual salvation. Does Christ accept us on our works, or does he accept us on something else, and what is that? Well, there's a Bible story that fits so well here that Jesus told a story that there was a Pharisee and then uh, I guess it was a tax collector that went to church, mm-hmm. went to the temple, if I remember the story right. And the Pharisee goes in, and he's very legalistic, and he starts bragging to God about all the things that he's done right. Mm-hmm. So he's listing his works. I'm, I'm a good man. I pay tithes. I do this. I do that. And then this is where it really gets bad. And he looks back in the back of the church and sees this tax collector, and he says, and I'm not anything like him. Yeah. So he's, he's tooting his own horn and trying to impress God with how good he is. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the tax collector won't even come to the front of the church, has his head hang low because he knows that he's not righteous, and he simply prays and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Mm. And Jesus said that that man who prayed that prayer went home justified rather than the tax collector, I mean, than the Pharisee who looked holy on the outside but was not justified or right on the inside. Yeah. And so I think that's what the gospel says is that we are saved by grace through faith and that, like your mom just said, Jesus can't love us any less or any more than what he loves us right now. He loves us. He's proven that love with the death of his son, Jesus. When he saves us, he loves us. He is patient with us. He puts up with us. And, and yes, we should strive to live holy and please him. But when we fail, he's a good heavenly father. Now, he's going to correct us. That's the work of the Holy Spirit to yes, convict. Yes, there are consequences. Mm. True. Yeah, and sometimes there's consequences. Sins. You yes. reap what you sow. Right. But, um, but God uses those things to help our character. So that's what he's doing. He's, he's more concerned about our character. Yeah. 
And and so that's what he does, and, and he because helps he us to grow. Because he loves us. He's not up there. I think my mentality, you know, he's just he's, he's not up there trying to knock you down, mm. you know, and belittle you. and um, But he loves us so much, he just wants us to grow through everything and be better through it all. Yeah. Well, there are fathers, earthly fathers, you know, terrible earthly fathers who who berate their kids and tell them they're nothing and you're a nobody. And if they fail, they just rub it in and, and verbally and mentally, emotionally knock down their children. And if you've had that kind of father, let me just tell you, that's a dysfunctional father. And it's not the right image of the Heavenly Father. The Heavenly Father's pulling for us. The Heavenly Father is doing everything He can. He wants you to do what you can, okay? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So I have a responsibility. But then it says, for it's God that wills and works in me. Yeah. So God's going to do His part. And the good part is, you want, you want to get to the kind of the essence of this, is that Serving the Lord Jesus, being saved, born again, serving him is not something that you and I do in our own strength. I I can't do it in my own strength. I do it by the strength of the Spirit of God who lives in me. So any success on my part is his success. Okay, and that's the essence. If I can learn to lean on him, and when I fail, it means that I stop leaning on him. The grace says, I forgive you. Go back to the source. Come back to me and lean on me and let me help you live right and do what's right. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do it yeah. not not just as, as a conduct, okay? So it's not what I do, what I don't do, what I say, what I don't say. But there's a deeper issue. It is a character issue. What I do and what I don't do, what I say and what I don't say is coming out of the character mm-hmm. transformation, which is Christ in me. Yeah. And I think I think it's important to point out, I heard this quote that always helps me, we never work for life, we always work from life. And whatever you're doing, it's the Spirit of God working in you from the life Christ has already given you. So you don't have to constantly work, 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 work to try and get life and get acceptance from God. You've already received that, and now you're working out of the life that you give. I would say another thing is a, a lot of times with legalism, you're filled with guilt and shame, like constantly. We're talking about that head drooping low. You feel you feel like almost you need to feel guilty sometimes. But the gospel says your guilt and shame is gone. It was nailed to the cross along with Jesus. And so if you're in Christ, you're not guilty anymore. You've been given the righteousness of Christ. He's forgiven you of your sins. You don't have to walk around head low, um, woe is me anymore, because he's removed your sins. He's taken it away, and there's still grace for you today if you would just repent you have the freedom to move on because Christ has paid for anything you've done, so sins, past, present, and future. And if you're struggling with guilt and shame today, I know maybe it's not that easy, but can I tell you, you don't have to walk around in that. The gospel doesn't say walk around, woe is me, walk around head low, and maybe God will accept you again. The gospel says Christ has paid for every single one of your sins. You're still his child. Repent, lean on his spirit, and move on. You know, Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that's that same kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest to your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And when you're when you're yoked up to works, it'll wear you out. It is exhausting. Yeah, because you're just trying, trying, trying. Yep. But when you yoke up to Jesus, and now he, you're walking in his strength, he's the stronger of the two of you, yeah. Then it's you can rest and say, "I'm, I'm like you said, I'm lean, I'm working from His life, 
And then I think it makes all the difference. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, as we um, close this out, let's just have a quick conversation. I know you've talked about how kind of the pendulum has swung to grace, but there are still people who struggle with legalism. What are maybe some modern legalistic tendencies, both in the church and maybe as an individual, that somebody listening to this could be, I mean, even struggling with today? And then what are some practical tips to combat that? So, for instance, what do you say to the person who maybe um, ha- responds like you you have in the past that says, man, I go into this almost spiritual depression when I do one thing wrong, when I miss that one Bible study, when I do you know, whatever. And what are your practical tips to get out of that? What, what, what's step one? Oh boy. Um, I, you know, I think first of all is getting an understanding of grace. Um, I remember having a conversation with Jaron in Fort Jackson, Mount Jackson, Virginia, wherever we were sitting in a Denny's, and here's my own son grows up in a preacher's home, and and I remember, uh, and I, he he wasn't indicting me or because you know I was his pastor or his mom. I just think it was again had a lot to do with the culture. He said, "I don't even know if I really understand grace," and so I think it would be it would help somebody to just really understand what grace is, mm-hmm. and to say it's not the end of the world uh, when I when I don't do something or when I fail in something and I'm not talking about sin, but, but even then, as long as you repent mm-hmm. and truly repent, but like, like we said, when you don't read your Bible, when you don't pray, right. you know, Try, if you could identify it, you know, when you, when you feel, I'll say your heart condemning you say, stop and identify that this is happening and say, now my loving father would not bring this on me. Yes, he'll convict you, but he doesn't, what's the word, condemn you to make you feel awful, like Mm -hmm. when you're being legalistic with it. Does that make sense? I've had to do that. I've had to identify it. Does that make sense? And and say, okay, you know, yes, I missed my Bible reading, my prayer, but God loves me. And so, you know, I think the first step for me would, would be that would be to maybe get a knowledge of what does the word say and identify it and start speaking the truth yep. to yourself and maybe it takes a little while to sink in but you're you're acknowledging it and going I'm not going to live under this forever. Well let's let's flip the coin a little bit. What would you say to the person who maybe has a temptation at self-righteousness yes. where they they kind of feel the the tug to almost compare themselves to other people often? And then they often make themselves look more righteous in other people's eyes. Does that make sense? What would you say to the person who has kind of that judgmental tendency? There are a lot of things. I <laughs> Shall we continue? Uh, I'm sitting here thinking of people's Hear names and faces. Oh, Let's break it up into two categories. What would you say to the person that recognizes it, struggles with it, and right. doesn't want to do that? And then two, what would you say to the person that is fully totally wholly convinced that they are, you know, Christ incarnate 2.0. They are just perfect. Well, one thing I would say, and then you guys can take it from here, human nature, correct me if I'm wrong, it is so much easier to see the faults in other people before you can see them in yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And when you preached on forgiveness yesterday, by the way, if you didn't hear that message, you need to listen to it. Wonderful. 
But you think about how many times our Heavenly Father has forgiven us. Mm-hmm. Right. Think about that. And, and, and that we can't forgive others or that we just sit around and throw it. And I've been guilty. I've done it. I think we've all done it. Mm-hmm. You'll judge somebody for something they do. Well, stop for a minute and look at yourself, and you're going to see something pretty ugly that yeah. you do. I don't know if that answers your question, but no, human absolutely. nature is it's easier to find faults in others Yeah. first. Well, I like the way you broke it up, Evan. So the person who's full-blown legalist, I mean, they're just they're blind. Jesus let them have it. Mm-hmm. He called people names. Why? Wash wash sepulchers, brood of brood of vipers. Which you know what a brood of viper is? You're a son of a snake. Yeah, that's what the, that's the that's that would be the modern. You're a son of a snake. Yeah. That's what he called them, and he called them whitewashed sepulchers, sepulchers, open tombs, the blind leading the blind. He called them names righteously, but he labeled them and let them have it. What he did to them is he exposed their hypocrisy. So. If I was talking to somebody and I had the permission and the license and the freedom to speak into their life, I think what I would do with that person is to say, look, you need to look in the mirror because you're a hypocrite. You do this and this and this and this and this. And at the same time, you do you want everybody, but you're this, 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 this. And I think you call them out. What I have found is that those full-blown legalistic people, you cannot break through them. Wow. It's a shell and you cannot get through and they will not listen to you. They will defend themselves. They will turn it back on you. They're holier than you. They know more than you. It almost smacks of narcissism. Yeah. A spiritual narcissism. Yes. Or an unspiritual narcissism. (laughs) And 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 they're more spiritual than you. Mm -hmm. Okay. They're more godly than you. They're holier than you are, which means they're better than you are. And I've had to deal with them. I've had to deal with them here at, here at high praises. Very detrimental to the yeah. to the and there's church. a spirit with them. And the body uh, of there's Christ. a spirit, yeah. And when they leave your church, you'll 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 tell a difference immediately in your church or in a department in your church. It will change the tone of the entire because it is toxic. It's negative. It's poison, and it it just kills and chokes the life out of everybody else around them mm-hmm. because of that spirit. Now, if I had somebody who was full blown, but they were open and they were you know, they was somebody who is beginning to see that that was was willing to listen. Mm-hmm. Okay, then then I would I think I would do much the same thing as I would say. Look, let's talk about the duplicity of your life. Let's look at let's look at this and let's look at these issues. But then let's see if we can go deeper. Why are you like this? What is it that's made you feel this way or think this way? And I think I would try to get to the heart of the issue. Is it how they were taught? Were they brainwashed? I mean, there's people actually been brainwashed in, mm. into some of this thinking because of a denomination or what whatnot. Um, is this because you think you have to earn your way to God? Or do you have? Do you think you have a salvation by works that you just don't realize it, or, or half works? It's a hybrid. Yeah. Uh, so I think I would go down that path and try to get them to see, and then I would talk about the grace of God, and especially if they're judgmental. I think, you know, again, Jesus said, why do you look at the the speck that's in your brother's eye when you got a two-by-four in your own? Yeah. Okay, why don't you deal with your own self before you start telling everybody else how to live their life and where they're wrong and they're wrong? And another thing is, a lot of times people that do that, 
they're pointing out everybody else's sins and being the judge because they figure if they can keep everybody's attention on everybody else's sins, yeah. nobody will take the time to look at their own. Yeah, that's good. I think you hit the – what's the saying? The nail on the head. Nail on the head. <laughs> you knew what I was thinking. You hit it right there. Plus, Jesus was perfect. Hello. <laughs> yeah. He had the right yep. to say these things. He was sinless. And I he think that's perfect. it too. That at the end of the day, none of us can be judged because we're all we've all sinned. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God's the only one who can judge because He is perfect. He is the standard. He didn't just set the standard. The standard is Him, and He's the only one who gets to judge. So we've got to stand back and receive His grace. And a godly character is um, that's what matters. It's being godly. All right. So I'm I'm going to tell a story. If I can, I think maybe kind of wrap it up. So years ago when our denomination um, was dealing with this and there was, it was a critical mass, it was a tipping point and thank God we tipped and we got past this legalism and said, you know what, we got to move out of this. And thank God our leadership took us out. It was a battle because it was a, anytime you change culture in any organization, it's one of the most difficult things to do, but we did it. For the most part, we've done it. Thank God. They were having forums all over the United States where members and pastors could come together and talk about this because what they wanted to do was change the wording and the verbiage and the practical commitments, basically from saying you must do this to you should or you shouldn't. So to say here's some guidelines to help you with maybe some practical holy living, but they're not commands. Mm. Okay. In the particular forum that was held in the city where Leah and I were going to to, to college, the, the there was a man who who was there. He was the last person to speak. He got up to the microphone and spoke. And we know this man very very well, very intimately. He was one of the instructors at the university, uh, the college, one of the leaders, the high level leader. And he got up. Here's the story he told. He said, "At the church that I go to." There is a man who is blind. He cannot see at all. But he knows me, and he knows my wife. Now, he's never seen what I look like, and he has no idea what my wife looks like. When he interacts with my wife, he doesn't know if she has a dress on or pants. He doesn't know if she has makeup on or no makeup on. He doesn't know if she's wearing jewelry or she has no jewelry. He can't look at me and see how I'm dressed. He doesn't see. He said, but that man knows that I'm a born-again believer and that my wife's a born-again believer. And if you ask him, he'll say these are godly people, but he's never seen how we look one time. And he said, maybe we need to stop focusing on the outside and how we look, and we need to start focusing on the kind of people we are on the inside. And he sat down. And all we college students heard about it and went, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I think he made an awesome point. Yeah. Is that the outside um, is not what counts. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Yeah. And I think the thing is what kind of people, because what it, whatever we're like on the inside will then affect who we are on the outside. And maybe not so much what we look like. But what we say, what we do, what we think, how we react, that's what matters the most, yeah. is character. That's it right there. 
Well, thank you all for an amazing discussion today. I thought this was great. This was a whole lot of fun. This is the most laughter I think we've had in (laughs) all of the podcasts so far, but I've enjoyed it. It's been awesome. It's good. Well, thank you so much for everybody who is listening. I just want to encourage you, if you haven't yet, subscribe to the podcast. That way, when every new episode drops, it's automatically added to your phone. I want to encourage you, rate us, give us a review Um, Give us a good review, please. Um, That will expose us to more people, expose the podcast to a wider audience. And then I just want to encourage you to share. Share this podcast with a friend, with a coworker, with a family member, to somebody who maybe needs it or wants to go deeper in their understanding of God. So go ahead and do that for us, and we'll see you next time.